0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, give me your attention, please. You have enjoyed the dandy dogs and ponies in ring one, and the always entertaining oriental elephants in ring two, but now, give your attention to the center ring. Where we will see the astounding, the stupendous, the amazing. This was always my favorite part of the circus the ringmaster and his flowery language. Because it meant that something wonderful was coming, something that would be exciting. Mysterious, maybe a little frightening, but certainly wonderful. That's how I feel about what I'm going to tell you this morning. I remember as the idea unfolded in my mind, and as I told you last week, I've been trying to play catch-up with the other members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church for years now. Because I thought they knew all of this. And I discovered this, what we're going to talk about today. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. It's one of the answers to the question that we've been asking all week long. Seventh-day Adventist Christian, do you know who you are? Oh, yes. The note says here, please hand out the cards. If you have been attending, you know that we are asking people to participate. And so if you'll put up your hand, if you're willing to read from the screen, if you would, please. We'll hand out the cards and ask you to read when that comes up on the screen. For those of you who were here last Sabbath, you will remember that we discussed the very core of the Christian experience. The three gifts of grace that God gives us and our faith response to them. For those who have been attending every session, you have already developed a deeper understanding of the first two parts of that relationship. Receiving from the gift of Jesus and our faith as we choose to receive him. Growing in the gift of the Holy Spirit as he grows our hope in a more intimate Christian walk with Jesus. As by faith, we give him permission to empower us. Notice my purposeful use of faith, our faith as a response to the gifts, and our choice to receive the gifts. Because remember, God is in the salvation business. That's his only business. Everything is about saving his people. He wants our cooperation, and he does that by establishing with us the covenant, grace, faith relationship. We talked about that last Sabbath. How many remember? How many were here last week? We remember what we were talking about last week. Yes? No? Maybe? Okay. Today I want to discuss that third gift, becoming like, that third level of the grace-faith relationship, and the result of allowing God to change us. And I want to do this in the context of the sanctuary. And oh yes, be sure you bring your Bibles. Just like at the circus, you cannot identify the performers and you cannot check out the ringmaster to see if he knows what he's talking about unless you have your program. So, be sure you have your Bibles. Let's pray. Oh, my Father, this is an exciting topic. Fill our hearts and minds with your spirit. Help us to take it in, to understand, to make it ours. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Sanctuary is something that we Seventh-day Adventists love to talk about. But I want to challenge your thinking today. Because we 21st century Christians have a hard time imagining a literal sanctuary in a literal heaven. And so we begin to talk in metaphors. We begin to talk in cliches. And we say things like, Jesus is in the sanctuary interceding for me. And we don't really know what that means. For example, the sanctuary. Where is it? What is it? Why is it? And Jesus, what is he actually doing there? And what does that have to do with the grace-faith relationship? And what does that have to do with Seventh-day Adventist Christians who are living in the time of the end. So let's begin with the why. Why did God want Moses to build a sanctuary? And someone has Exodus 25, 8. If you'll stand up when you're ready to read that. And in your, yeah, just, there we go. Yeah, you're standing up so that so that Bill knows where you are. I'm going bring the microphone. Somebody turn on the microphone here. Hello. There we go. Exodus 25.8 says, Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is what God has always wanted since the loss of his children in the Garden of Eden. God has been trying to restore his children to their place with him. And this is the whole point of the grace-faith relationship, to lead us to reconciliation, to at one with him which is what we've been talking about all week. This is the climax to the whole story of redemption. God and his people together again. Okay, so that's the why. The sanctuary plays a role in God's plan to bring people together with him. It's not just an illustration of salvation. There is a reality in the sanctuary. Now, what sanctuary? Where is this sanctuary? The sanctuary that Moses built in the wilderness, like this, is gone. The sanctuary in Jerusalem is gone. And yet we are told that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, and he's in the sanctuary. So where is the sanctuary? Yes, someone will read for us. Hebrews nine twenty four. 24. Mary Ruth. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the sanctuary we're talking about is in heaven. Not on earth, as the Millerites thought, in October 22, 1844, which is why it kind of went wrong at that point. They knew the right event. They knew the judgment was beginning, but they got the wrong sanctuary, and they got the wrong place where the judgment begins. But I'm getting ahead of myself, as I usually do. So let's back up and look at another Adventist scripture. If someone who has that one will read it for us. And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Here's good old Adventist text. Why does the sanctuary have to be cleansed or restored, as some translations say? In what way? Does the sanctuary have to be restored? Let's see if we can answer some of these questions in the next several minutes. How many of you have been reading the book? Yes, a few. Then you know we're in chapter 13. And you know that there are study questions in the back of the book for this chapter. And you can follow along with those this morning if you have the book with you. Or you've got the study guide and you can follow along there too. And as you have been reading the book, you probably know that I always tell a story in each chapter to get your attention. Today, the story is about you. Yes, you. Because God's reaching out, seeking a relationship with you. You are the center of God's focus. You are are the center of our story today because God's in the salvation business and he wants to save you. This is a matter of life and death for you. So if it's your story, I think you might be intensely interested in this. But something hinders the effort of God to reach you. Something stands in his way and in your way. What is it? If someone will read this for us, Isaiah 59 2. Bertha? But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God must remove the sin problem before he can truly be with his people, before he can be with you. So I want you to walk with me through the sanctuary. The sanctuary message. And watch what it is that God's going to do for you and reach out to you. This frightens some people. Don't be frightened. God has invited you to come near. Since we have confidence, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. For he who promised is faithful. Don't be frightened. Have confidence in God. He is faithful. Remember our discussion last Sabbath, Christian hope, that confident expectancy that what God has promised, he is well able to perform. And remember, just like in the wilderness sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary is very real, and it's also very symbolic. So I want you to watch two things. First, I want you to watch what Jesus does with your sin and my sin. A um, little sidetrack here. I think I think we need to do this. There are three parts to sin, three words for sin in the Bible, and all three are here in David's psalm. You see them up there: iniquity, sin, and transgression. Quickly, transgression. It means purposeful disobedience and carries a just penalty, which is death, the penalty of sin. Sin means to miss the mark. It's like in archery. You're trying to hit the bullseye, but you always miss, sort of. You get close, but it's not on the mark. And the word, the Hebrew word, For sin means to miss the mark. You're not trying to do bad things, you just can't hit square on the target. This is the power of sin. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans seven when he said, I know what I would like to do, I just can't do it. I have the power to choose. I don't have the power to perform. That's the power of sin. Iniquity. Iniquity. It means to be bent. It's just how we come. We're born bent. Crooked. It's our nature. It's the presence of sin in us. And God's going to address all three in his three-part plan of salvation in the sanctuary. So I want you to follow this covenant grace-faith relationship as it appears in each part of the sanctuary. And if it helps you to visualize what's going on, we're going to do it visually here. There's also a, a diagram in the back of the book on page 225. If you're looking there, you can see that. But I'll let you decide what you want to do with that. Okay. Let's begin here in the courtyard. Okay? It's a large box here. Actually, this is a round table, but it's the best we could, and it's on wheels, so I could get it in and out real easily. Large box. It was seven and a half feet wide, but seven and a half feet uh, this way, and this way, and four and a half feet tall. Smells like there's smoke here, and I see a lamb lying right there on the. What is this? The altar of. Sacrifice, the altar of burnt offering. Yes, here it is. This is where the sacrifices were offered. For sin, for guilt, for thanksgiving, for peace. This is the place where the sinner would come, put his hand on this side of the altar, on the left side, on, on the north side, put his hand on the, on the offering, then he would take that knife from the hand of the priest. He would cut the throat of the offering. The priest would hold the bowl and catch the blood. The sacrifice would then be offered on the altar, and the sinner would go back out forgiven. What does that mean to you and me in actuality? Since we none of us today brought a lamp to Slay here. Is this more than just a ritual? We bring the same thing that they brought to the sanctuary. We bring the very core of our being. We bring our hearts. We choose to submit our will to the will of God. We talked about that last Sabbath. Sabbath last Sabbath afternoon. It's in chapter 6 if you want to read some more about it. This is the symbolism of the altar burnt offering, which was very real in the wilderness sanctuary, and it's equally very real in the heavenly sanctuary. If someone will read this for us, please. Who has John one twenty nine? Gary, is that yours? Okay. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yes. We do have a Lamb. Jesus is our Lamb. And in the heavenly sanctuary, this function is still operative. Even in the time of the end, there are some who are coming who have never surrendered their heart to Jesus and they need to come here and confess their sins and accept the sacrifice made for them. There are some of us who have been living in a rather intimate relationship with Jesus for some time who need to come back here And rededicate the heart again. From time to time we have to reconfirm that we're receiving Jesus. This is the first level of the sanctuary. This is the first level of the grace-faith relationship. This is repentance. This is grace and forgiveness. This is justification for those who like the big theology words. At the altar burnt offering, which we receive by faith. This is the first of the very real tasks that Jesus is doing for you and I in the very real heavenly sanctuary. Um, I have mentioned it before, but let's make sure you understand what faith is. This is my favorite Bible definition of faith. The person is Abraham. God promised Abraham would have a son. And at 100 years old, he was pretty sure his body wasn't up to that. It wasn't physically possible, and yet, if someone will read this for us, Romans 4.21, Joe? And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now I ask you, Do you believe by faith that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin? That his righteousness is available to you right now in the heavenly sanctuary. If you believe this, then you are living in this part of the sanctuary message. This is a private decision, of course. It's a decision of the heart. But Jesus has asked us to make a public declaration of this very private decision. What do we call that public declaration? Jesus said we're born again of the water and the spirit, as we've been studying in our Sabbath school quarterly this this quarter. So what do we call this public declaration? Baptism, yes. Yes. And I know that some of you have already made this declaration. Some of you may not have. This would be a good time to think about this and make your decision publicly that Jesus is your Savior. Okay, let's move on to the first department of the wilderness sanctuary. If you remember on Tuesday night, we talked about this. And if you were there Tuesday night, you're already familiar with where we're going with this one. But for those who weren't, a quick review. One of the answers to our question, do you know who you are, is that we are called to be ministering priests. Here's the labor. Tuesday night, we talked about this, how we are washed and purified by Jesus. In our baptism... And in our ordinance of humility, in preparation for serving as priests. Is it just a metaphor, or is it real? Listen to what we do as priests, and then you tell me if this is real or not. So, here is the first job of the priest. Here's our lampstand. It's uh, kind of small, and and it has candles and not lampstands, but here's our lampstand. We study the Word of God here. Jesus is the Word. And we learn about Jesus so that we can teach others. Usually, we share this light without words. Occasionally, we have to speak, but generally, sharing the light does not necessarily mean giving a sermon, or teaching a Sabbath school class, or giving a Bible study. Just interactions with people will let them know, you've been with Jesus. Okay, here's the table of showbread, and I know most of you can't see this, but... We have the bread right here, six on each side. Oh, notice that it includes drink. If you go look in, in Exodus and in describing the table of showbread, you'll find both food and drink there. That should stir up a memory of something in your pure minds. Bread and wine. What does this represent here? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when when they came back he was at the woman at the well and they came back and said did, did did do you need something to eat we've been out to McDonald's and we we got some hamburgers and actually they were fish burgers and we came back here and he said no i have food and drink you don't know about and they said did somebody slip him something when we weren't looking I have food and drink you don't know about to do the will of my Father, to minister. We are gifted by the Holy Spirit to minister to others. The food and drink of Jesus is our food and drink. We are empowered to do face-to-face ministry with people. That's what the name of the bread is. It's literally called the bread of the face. Incidentally, that's what we promise to do when we come to communion. We are telling Jesus that we're going to take his food and drink and it's going to become ours. We're going to take it in internally and it becomes us. Okay. Here's the third. Let's turn this little guy on. There we go. There we go. The third apartment of the sanctuary, Third, the third piece of furniture in that first apartment of the sanctuary. The altar of incense. What do we do here? There it is. This is intercession. This is where we pray and intercede for people. These are the three functions that we carry out as priests in the first apartment of the sanctuary. So what do you think? Are these functions of the priest real? Are we participating in divine worship when we do them? We get so used to doing these things. We, we, we greet people at the door, and we minister to people who are in need, and we pray for people, and we study our Bibles, and we don't think about it being worship. You are priests. And these priestly functions are part of the divine worship. They are real. But what is Jesus actually doing in this first apartment? Someone read that for us, please. John 14:16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Jesus is breathlessly monitoring our functions as a priest in this first apartment. And he is sending us the Holy Spirit when we ask, and we do need to ask, because God can't push stuff on you. You have to ask. And so Jesus is watching. And as we're ministering, he's sharing. Because you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. You can't function without him. So as you're asking, that's what Jesus is doing in the sanctuary. He's sending the Holy Spirit. Do you think this kind of activity is going to go unchallenged? When you become a Christian and a priest, you have a big bullseye painted right here on your chest. And you have an enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion, who is constantly accusing you and shaming you to destroy the work of God in you and through you. And Jesus has to constantly confront our adversary, with his blood, in our behalf, and defend our right to ask for and his right to send the Holy Spirit to us. This is the second level of the grace-faith relationship. This is the growing in. This is happening today, right now, in the heavenly sanctuary. And as you are asking for the Holy Spirit to carry out your priestly ministry, it's happening right here, right now, in the Tallahassee Church. Let me ask you again. Do you believe by faith that Jesus is sharing the power of the Holy Spirit with you? And remember our definition of faith. What God has promised, he is well able to perform. Do you believe by faith that the power of the Spirit is able to overcome the power of sin in your life when you ask? Because if you do, then you are living in this part of the sanctuary message. This is called revival. This is what it means to be made alive again. Not something we can do, though we like to talk about it a lot. Revival, the word revive, to make alive again, is not something we can do. It's something Jesus does in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we need to stop talking about this, about how we're going to make this happen, And start praying for the Holy Spirit who really can make it happen in us. So that he can get this work done. This is what Jesus is actually doing in the heavenly sanctuary. In this part of the heavenly sanctuary. Aha. Now. Let's move toward the veil. You know where the veil is, right? The veil's right here. Right here. What's on the other side of the veil? The Ark of the Covenant. This altar of incense is so close to the Ark that if you were to stand here and put your hand through the veil, you could touch the Ark. It's that close. As we get close to the veil, we know that we can't go in there, right? Why not? That's the place where God is. And what happens to people who are sinful in the presence of a holy God? There's the veil, that's what's behind the veil. there hebrews 12:29 somebody has that please read it for us for our god is a consuming fire my breath will consume you like fire who among us can live with the consuming fire who among us can live with the continual burning now understand this is not about god being angry This is about God being holy. And sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God, just like darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. Turn on the light, darkness is gone. The holy God comes forward. This is what scared Isaiah so bad. He saw the holy God, and he knew he was a sinful person, and he thought he was going to die. In the presence of God, sin immediately bursts into flame. And it's destroyed. And that's the purpose of the veil. The veil is here to protect us priests while we're ministering in this first department so we don't burn up. God doesn't want to destroy you. That's the reason for the plan of salvation. So he says, don't come in here. Don't come in here if you're sinful. But we're told here to enter in. Through the veil. How do we do that? <laughs> we do it the same way they did it in the wilderness sanctuary. They had a high priest, and the high priest went in there for them. Okay, we have a high priest, and he goes in there for us. Okay, let's let's back up. Getting ahead of my story again. Actually, it's your story. And we're following your redemption story through the sanctuary. We're following your sin through here. We're watching to see what God does with your sin. Because He's going to be just as well as the justifier of those who have faith. He's going to destroy the sin while He saves the sinner. Now, I want you to pay close attention right here. <clears throat> okay? If you're texting somebody or you're sleeping or whatever, wake up, pay attention. This is, this is the critical stuff. This is the hard part. This is the frightening part. This requires your attention. Look at the veil again. You see it, you see the blue and the scarlet and the figures of the angels and whatever. What else do you see? You see the spots? You see the dark red, dark brown spots up there on the veil? If we were to go out here, you'd see those same spots on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and you would see the same spots on the horns of the altar of incense. What's causing these spots? And the priest will dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil and put it on the horns of the altar before the Lord here in the tent of meeting and pour it under the base of the altar out there. Let's see what it says in the book of Numbers. Aaron, you and your sons will bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary and the guilt in connection with your priesthood. Do you understand where your sins are? All the sins that you were forgiven. What has God allowed to happen with all of those sins that all the people of God have been forgiven All the transgressions, all the iniquities that we heap upon our Savior, our Lamb of God, do you see where they are? They're on the spots. They've been transferred to the heavenly sanctuary, and to the altar of burnt offering, and to the altar of incense, and to the veil, and to the high priest. Understand that Jesus is our high priest. He's also the sanctuary. He's also the sin offering. He's also the veil. As high priest, he has released you and me from carrying our sins because the weight of them would crush us. And so they have been transferred to the sanctuary. The veil represents the contaminating sin that's been transferred from the people of God to the heavenly sanctuary, the sin that separates us. Does this give you an understanding of Daniel 8.14? Do you understand now why it has to be cleansed? Do you understand now why it has to be restored? Understand now, the veil will not always remain here. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two to demonstrate an opening directly to God now. For the same reason, Jesus intends to remove this veil in the heavenly sanctuary. Just like that. In order to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, so that there are no barriers between Somebody fell and got hurt. (laughs) But if you are exposed to God in your sinful state, in your bentness, what will happen to you? You will combust. Now, understand that when you surrendered your heart to the Lord, when you accepted Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin, Right here at the altar of an offering. And when you chose to abide in the Holy Spirit so that the power of the Holy Spirit would overcome the power of sin in your life, both of those things took place by faith. It's not something you can do. It's something that was done for you and done in you. What's left to be concerned about? The presence of sin, you're still bent. Your sins are still on the veil. And before Jesus can take away the veil, he's got to clean it. And this is what Jesus is doing, a very real task, right now, in the heavenly sanctuary. Now we have... Now it has come down to this. And. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Thank you. This is the testing time. Remember this scripture? He will bring about justice for them quickly. But will he find faith on the earth? This is not about your being good enough. This is not about whether you went to Sabbath school or whether you came to church every week or if you paid your tithe or even if you did your ministry. This is a test for you and your faith. Now you've grown your faith in the gift of Jesus as your lamb at the altar. You've grown your faith as Jesus, as your high priest, in the giving you the Holy Spirit, in empowering you, internally changing your heart and externally allowing you to minister by the gifts that he's given us, neither of which you could do yourself. It is by faith, because you believe that what he has promised, he is well able to do. Now... You need to believe by faith in Jesus as your judge. Somebody will read that for us. Micah seven nineteen. He will again have compassion on us. He will treat our iniquities on the foot. Yes you will cast all these sins into the depth of the sea. Because Jesus has promised again to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. He's about to remove the presence of sin in your life and cast it away into the depths of the sea, as Micah says, never ever to be discovered again. Do you believe... That Jesus can do this for you. That's what was done in the wilderness sanctuary when they cleansed the sanctuary. You can read about it in, in Leviticus 16. They cleansed the sanctuary. They brought atonement for the altar. And they brought atonement for the sanctuary. And they brought atonement for the congregation. at one They were bringing God and his people together because the barrier, sin, had been cleansed away. And now they could be together again, which is what God wants to do with you. But do you believe that Jesus will do this for you? This is what frightens people. They face the judgment, and they're scared to death. Are you willing to live in this part of the sanctuary message, by faith. Look what's up here in the ark. Ha, here we go. I have a pot. Huh? what do we have here in the pot? What is it? It's manna, yes, it's manna. Manna. The power to sustain life. Jesus is the manna in your life. Do you believe that Jesus can hold you together in the trials of your life? Do you believe that he can hold you together even in the judgment? Here's Aaron's rod that caused a little consternation this morning. Aaron's rod that budded I know the buds aren't here this is the best we could do um, the staff as Joe will tell you this is the symbol of authority this is what that confrontation with Cora and the folks were all about who's in charge that's a basic question we'd get that one worked out we'd have a lot of problems solved <laughs> who's in charge this is the staff of authority Does Jesus have the authority to deal with your sins in the judgment? In that final act of cleansing your life from that presence of sin? Oh, now what do we have here? Something else, Ten Commandments, the character of God, the character that he wants to recreate in you so that we can become partakers of the divine nature. Do you believe that Jesus can transform you? This is Reformation. Yeah. That elusive goal that we set for ourselves every year at camp meeting and every five years at general conference to transform ourselves. And we can't do that either. Reformation means to recreate, reform. We can't create. Only God can create and recreate. And some people are exceedingly frightened of this second apartment of the sanctuary, of the judgment. So frightened, they want to go in there and do this themselves. They want to make themselves, they want to reform themselves. You can't do that. That's a creation process. We're not capable of doing it. And they're not sure they have faith that Jesus is going to go in there and take care of it for them. Do you believe that Jesus can recreate his character in you by faith? That he will do this for you so that you can become like him? The issue of the judgment is really simple. Someone read this for us. Who has John 1? In him was life, and the life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. According to the Apostle John, who is the light sent into the world? Jesus. And the judgment is this. The light has come into the world. Everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light. He who practices truth comes to the light. Jesus was the light sent into the world. As he told Nicodemus that night, this is the judgment. Are you moving toward the light or are you moving away from the light? That's the whole judgment right there. Are you moving toward the light or are you moving away from the light? That's the choice that you will make, which will determine whether you live or die in the judgment. And the decision depends on whether you have faith that what God has promised, he is also able to perform. This is what it means to live in the grace-faith relationship with God. This is what it means to live in the whole sanctuary message. To receive from God by faith the gift of Jesus at the altar for an offering. To abide and grow in the hope of power of the Holy Spirit in the first apartment and to become like the loving character of the Father in the second apartment of the sanctuary. By faith, you and I can stand when all these things which cannot be shaken will remain. By faith, you and I can stand by living in the grace-faith relationship all the way through sanctuary message. Two more points. God has something he'd like you to do for him. He'd like you to live in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, which is our topic this afternoon and this evening, how we actually do that. But for now, do you know what it means to give glory? The word glory means to shine forth. You remember those paintings of the Holy Family that we used to see all the time? And when they were in a painting with other people, you couldn't tell the Holy Family from the rest of them, so the artist would put something around their head so you could pick them out. That little halo was called a glory. That's what it's called. They would shine forth from the picture so you could tell which ones they were. In the same way, your good works cause the Father to shine forth. That's how you give him glory. As you might expect in the grace-faith relationship, this is a two-way street. When the people of God bring glory to him, he causes them to shine forth. That's why we use this word, glorification, in this third level. It's this glorification, this shining forth that enables the people of God to deliver the three angels' messages with such power. Okay. I told you the story was about you. So, I want you to take a minute and just consider who you are. Where you are in your relationship with Jesus. What your status of your faith is. In Jesus, do you have faith that what he has promised, he is also able to perform all the way through the sanctuary? What do you think? How's your faith? Where are you? More importantly, Seventh-day Adventist Christian, do you know who you are? I'm comfortable with silence. we just pause a moment. Think about that. Now let me ask you one more question. What do you think it would look like if everyone in the Adventist church actually lived as if they truly had faith in Jesus? They lived their lives every day as if they actually thought that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. you think the world would notice. you think in the time of utter chaos, it's a time of the end, that anybody from the world would want to come and hear what you have to share with them, would want to hear that God has a plan to draw them close. Our last scripture, someone has this one. There is a perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Do you think the world would actually like to see demonstrating how to live lovingly keeping the commandments and having their faith in Jesus? Living such that God is drawing them close, changing their hearts, and empowering them to become like him. Would you like to be part of the adventure in telling people what this is like? You want to be a part of that final push to teach people? If this is your desire if you have faith that what he has promised he's also able to perform, then I'd like you to stand where you are right now and tell him so. <clears throat> For some of you, this may be the first time. If it is, If this is the first time that you have said, Jesus, I want to dedicate my heart to you. I want to present myself and let you change me. If this is the first time, then I invite you to come forward at this time. Some of you may have already surrendered your heart, but you want to rededicate your heart in faith all the way through the sanctuary in the complete covenant grace faith relationship with God. If this is true for you, I invite you to come forward. is short there's a lot for God to do in a very short time we need to all rededicate our lives in faith and I would like to pray for all of you okay I'm going to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do what he does best Because I was stopped. I I stopped here to pray and said, Lord, do I do this or do I not do this? Because I want to know what He's leading, not what I'm thinking about doing. So I'll just pause a minute, let Him do what He's doing. Is there anyone here that this is the first time you've offered your heart to Jesus? No? Okay, because I wanted the elders to be able to talk to you if that's true. When you're a newborn Christian, <laughs> you come out screaming and crying and you're hungry, but other than that, you can't do anything for yourself. So, you need the assistance of some midwives. Just jump in there and, and help out. That's what you all. That's another metaphor. We're all midwives for newborn babies. Okay, let's pray. And I want to pray our, our, our scripture reading for this morning. Close our eyes. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.